Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourished podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. We're clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started. All right, dear listeners. Man, do we have a good one for you today. We're going to be talking about the neural foundations of movement and the super important role that our nervous system plays in both programming our movement patterns, getting us stuck in ones that we don't want, helping us get out of those into the ones that we do want that are more efficient, and how the nervous system plays a role in facilitating improvement in our movement patterns and gains, but also how it can get us stuck in patterns of imbalance. So let's jump in, Forrest. Let's give people the groundwork of how movement patterns are made, specifically the job of the nervous system. One of its huge jobs is to make control how we move. I think that's pretty intuitive, but let's get into it in a little more detail. Yes. So motor control is the systematic control of movement in the nervous system. And it's mm -hmm. the complexity of motor, of motor control is just mind boggling. The tiny little patterns that make each little muscle fiber twitch mm -hmm. that then build up into one muscle twitching that then build up into a symphony of muscles twitching to pick your toothbrush up and brush your teeth is just unfathomably complex and then the remembering that, which i think yes. is also crazy i know we're gonna talk more about that but that's always just blown my mind is the we say muscle memory but it's not the muscles that are remembering at all it's, it's the, the nervous, nervous system, system that's remembering yes the nervous system build these programs and it writes them like sheets of music mm. and there's a program for how you lift your arm and how you stabilize your core and how you relax your toes while you're brushing your teeth and don't mm. stick your tongue onto your toothbrush <laughs> all of that is all a part of this brushing the teeth motion and then the awesome part is that the motor system recycles that information so not only is it remembering once you've taught yourself to brush your teeth not only does it remember it then takes that pattern and says okay can i use that pattern when i comb my hair actually yeah i can use 80 percent of it and so yep. then 80 percent of the hair combing pattern is the tooth brushing pattern efficiency so the, is the name of the game with yeah. the brain people and what's really fascinating is we have kind of three motor centers we have our alpha motor program which controls conscious movements mm -hmm. but as those movements are practiced and programmed and become more and more ingrained into our nervous systems they start to be controlled more by the gamma motor system which is the same part of the system that controls spinal reflexes so basically it's just like riding a bike you know, when you <laughs> learn to ride the bike you're building that pattern and so more of those pieces have to be put together consciously so you already have a pattern for extending your leg and flexing your leg. You have a pattern for stabilizing yourself. You have a pattern for wiggling your arms and you put those together, but you're having to put those together yourself and go through all the motions, which is why it's so hard to learn how to ride a bike. Yes. As you ride the bike, those patterns become seamlessly interwoven mm. to the point that riding a bike becomes just like riding a bike where <laughs> you're nervous system recognizes, okay, I'm on a bike and this is the motions that I do on a bike to ride a bike. 
that's why, dear listeners, it's so much harder to do and it feels so much clunkier at the beginning of learning a new sport or a new movement or a new way of moving, whatever it is, no matter what age you are, it feels harder at the beginning. And then after a while, the smoothness comes in. That's how and you can tell that someone's really been exactly. doing for a while or a lot of put a lot of hours in. And we have a superpower as humans mm -hmm. that we are more of a blank slate as far as movement patterns go. If you want look at a colt, a baby horse, when they're born, within a few hours, they're able to get up and they're able to not only stand, but walk and run and eat grass and do all of the horse Jump movements. <laughs> now, it'll be years of them getting stronger and getting better, but they got, they pretty much have it, have mm -hmm. what it takes to be a horse as a little baby. And then we look at, okay, humans, we have a long time of not having our basic human functions. And a lot of times it's, oh, is that, is it a problem? Is it, is it because our heads are too big for the birth canal? What's going on? But the fascinating thing is, is that because we have to learn our movement patterns, we can learn how to do just about anything. We, we don't have to evolve into being like a goat evolves into being a mountain goat. And after a few generations starts to climb mountains, we just, if we want to learn how to climb a mountain, we just put in the hours to practice climbing that mountain. And then we build those patterns. So yeah, we that is something that makes are, us kind of unique among in the animal world, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. We're pattern building machines. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is that neuroplasticity that goes into being able to create all these different patterns can let me also... just pause you and just emphasize for people sorry to interrupt but the that is neuroplasticity what we're talking about friends neuroplasticity does not just apply to things you learn with your brain like new knowledge so it's stay reading into your older age do things that challenge your brain this is neuroplasticity too just yes. to emphasize that because i think neuroplasticity gets talked about a lot in the context of not letting your brain wither as you get older and continuing to learn you know new brain things or how to do new things with your brain but this is also a huge part of neuroplasticity as it relates to movement exactly and and athletic endeavors and training are really they're we're working our neuroplasticity in movement for our advantage as we learn new skills and get better and better and better at those skills yeah. now there's a double, there's a double-edged sword. sword. Yeah. Because we're so plastic as a species to develop, getting good at movement patterns. What that also means is we can become Olympic level couch potatoes. <laughs> really, can, really good at that. Yeah. We can really, really build the dysfunctional patterns. Mm. We can also in our form in how we're doing something, we can hold ourselves in a position or use bad mechanics and get so good at that, that it's very hard to learn to do things in a way that's safer for the mm -hmm. body or more effective. So I always think about if you imagine yourself typing on the computer and you're just having a good day and you're typing and your motor system starts to build up what your typing program is. So it's you know, how you sit in your chair or sit on the floor, or how, where you're sitting, how you're, where your eyes are, how high your hands are, how high your hands are, all the dynamic motions of your hands that go into typing. Mm -hmm. All of that starts to get built up into this motor program of working on the computer. But then you think about while you're working on the computer, your boss comes and is yelling at you about a deadline. And as your boss is yelling at a yelling at you about this deadline you start to get stressed out and as you're stressed out 
you start to go through some normal tension patterns of stress, such as tensing your shoulders, tightening your jaw, tightening your um, face muscles, tightening frowning. your face muscles, mm -hmm. breathing with your neck instead of your diaphragm. Shallowly. Mm -hmm. All of that starts to come out as part of your stress pattern. Now, that might be okay once in a while. However, if that happens frequently, or if you're putting in too long of hours and you start to get fatigued and that stresses you out and you start tensing and things like that, your nervous system being the smarty pants that it thinks it is. And, and the lever really of efficiency. Is, and the lever of efficiency will say, hey, you know what? We've noticed a pattern. 80% of the time when you're typing, you, after about two hours, start to tense up your shoulders and clench your jaw and breathe shallowly so and you slump in the chair mm -hmm. so obviously that's how you want to type so now for efficiency's sake why don't we not wait why don't every yep. time you sit down at the computer Let's that become the way you type on the computer mm -hmm. and you start to change into and that thus, pattern a dysfunctional or a, or a suboptimal movement pattern is born <laughs> yes and so we can have this in lots of different ways and so all of our movement patterns are constantly going through reinforcement and recycling they're going through a sense of can we shift this to make it more efficient and if not let's make it let's reinforce it more it is the neurological equivalent of if you don't use it you lose it and the opposite if the more you use it the more deeply ingrained it gets <laughs> The more deeply it grained it gets and the more it starts to spread to other patterns because mm, they're like, oh, point. hey, this is the way we walk. So now this also needs to be the way we throw a discus. Or our yeah. shoulders are all hunched and our head is forward and we're hunched over and we're breathing shallowly when we're typing at the computer. But then why don't we also do that while we're driving to and fro since we're there, right. since we're stressed anyway and in traffic? And in another episode, we talk about fascial patterns. And mm -hmm. so that becomes another piece of this puzzle is that as the motor programs become more and more ingrained in our nervous system, the software, the hardware of our fascial mm -hmm. web also starts to follow suit and starts yes. to mold itself more to those patterns, whether they be ones we want or ones that we don't. Yep. Now, the next thing that we need to understand with motor control is the importance of sensation, especially mm. proprioception. Mm-hmm. And proprioception, so, just for those who don't know, is where am I in space? It's a big word for basically, does my body know where X, Y, Z or part of my body is? And how good is that map? How intimately right. does it know where I am in space? Any different part of my body? The example I think yes. you always give is if I put my hand behind my head and move it around, I still know roughly where my hand is, even though I can't physically see it. Exactly. That's proprioception. proprioception. Yeah. It's our sense of where we are in space. So all sensation, but especially proprioception, is extremely important for the brain to recognize how our movements are. It's the feedback loop. Yep. So when we have a motor program, we start to hold ourselves in a certain position. So, you know, we start to tense, tense, we start to slouch, something like that. If we're talking mm -hmm. about maybe a dysfunctional motor program, the proprioception of my diaphragm saying I'm squished and my <laughs> neck saying I need to move in this different way can form a feedback loop that says, wait, hold on. Let's not make this a pattern. This is just tension. So that feedback 
is a really crucial piece to allowing more malleability in these patterns that we build. You can even think, what does getting a shoulder rub do for the tension in the shoulder? Yes. So mm -hmm. if we've built up tension and we start to shrug our shoulders from tension and our motor system has made peace with that and said, this is how we hold our shoulders now. This is efficient, even though it doesn't seem efficient. The brain is saying, no, this is, this is the motor program now. When you start getting those shoulders massaged, the proprioceptors in the tight muscles say, wait a minute, huh. we're tight. This is tight. This is tense. Does this, this need to be efficient. this way? They send those signals to a part of the brain called the cerebellum, which is a mediator that says, this is what you're telling me as a motor program, but this is what we're getting as far as the information from the proprioceptors that say that these muscles are too tight. And I think we need to maybe meet in the middle and take the tension down 50%. That's the dynamic that can work. And obviously the proprioceptors, which we get from feeling where our bodies are, are going to be a large percentage of that feedback that affects our motor programs. But our eyes our vestibular system, which is our balance system. Temperature. Other senses mm -hmm. also, mm -hmm, also play into these motor programs. But it's really important to recognize that the modern situation of sensory deprivation, of mm. using our bodies but not being in our bodies, can really reinforce patterns getting more and more stuck that we may not want to be stuck. Which we talk about in our episode, movement that should be embodied, if you're curious to learn more about that, yeah. the effect of not being in our bodies and how that affects our movement. And I think what else is important, just to highlight for people here, Forrest, is that, first of all, like you were saying, there's different types of, when we say sensory feedback, we have multiple types of sensory fibers to sense light pressure, deep pressure, potentially dangerous things, temperature, so oh, proprioception. So oh, we're talking about all sensory feedback when we are talking about that, but we are particularly talking about proprioception. And then the reason this becomes important is that these, which we are going to talk about in our follow-up episode, nine steps to build better movement patterns. So keep an eye out for that. We're going to talk about how we can then leverage that sensory experience as part of building better movement patterns. Yeah. Or unwinding movement patterns mm -hmm. that that are have gotten stuck. Yes. Because there's and again, just to summarize a little bit for people, our brain loves efficiency. It worships at the altar of efficiency, right? It's going to try and help us out by minimizing our effort for what it's receiving from us as what we're asking it to do. So once those movement patterns get made, they can become stuck. And when they become stuck, they are becoming neurologically stuck. But then also after a while, they're they're causing physical tissue changes in the fascia, yeah. in the blood flow, in the lymphatic flow to and from the area. So of course it's relevant to athletic performance and quality of life and your range of motion, all those things. But I think a really tangible example of this is when something is sticky and painful and has been that way for a while and the way that we can use the reprogramming of the movement patterns to not only bring about a better relationship between the brain and how it relates to that area, but also bring about physical tissue changes over time. They're slow, but right. they do happen. Yeah. But it's important to recognize that they follow the motor programs. Mm -hmm. Yes. So building a program that uses the chest, the pec muscles in a movement pattern is the first step. And then the tissue building of the chest muscles that follows that movement pattern is step two. 
And then the same thing if releasing something, working to unwind the motor program that says, I'm going to hold my shoulders up by my ears is, yep. is the first step. And then we can start to unwind the the tissue changes and blood flow changes that happen from those those shoulders being held up for a long time. Mm-hmm. The last little bit that we can quickly touch on is we have to recognize that this our motor system is part of the same nervous system as our autonomic nervous system and our the same nervous system that deals with stress and survival needs. Same um, brain, people. The same brain. And Tension patterns are can be built to guard from stressful and traumatic experiences. So we can't separate these two. We can't separate mental health from motor skill and performance. Yes. The traumas that we carry in our bodies, the stressors that we build in our bodies affect motor programs. Um, yes. So that same part of your shoulders that is holding on for dear life to control over a stressor is the same part of your shoulder that you need to relax when you're doing a clean. So it's the same body. And so we mm-hmm. have to navigate both of those worlds at once. Which again, is is absolutely also the case when we're talking pain and, and chronic pain, which yeah. we are going to talk about more and in much more de- detail, the neuroscience of pain in future episodes. But the cliff notes or the sort of takeaway here is that it's all interwoven and you cannot separate your emotional and mental stressors from your physical stressors, which you've probably heard us say a couple of times. If we say it enough, hopefully it'll stick in people's minds. But when it comes to your movement patterns, this is also true. The The shoulders got raised and the tension level got raised in our original example, not because there was a physical stressor added, but because there was a boss yelling at you, right? In our earlier example. Mm-hmm. So Your nervous system is built to respond to changes in the environment, and those changes cause physical changes in the body. I feel like that's pretty intuitive. But I think sometimes when we start talking about movement as if it existed in a vacuum, we have to be careful because there is no separating what you do at the gym from what you do at work from your nervous system's perspective because it's the same body and the same brain that has to go to work and then also go to the gym. Yes. It's it's all stored in the same tissues. I'm all all for compartmentalization to people but there's it only takes you so far yeah so in conclusion we have a really amazing nervous system that builds up these complex but beautiful motor programs that allows us to get better and better at our movements and we can leverage that for our athletic endeavors but we also have to recognize where we can build really strong dysfunctional patterns that need to be unwound or Mm -hmm. reprogrammed. All right, friends. So stay tuned for our follow-up episode on this topic, Nine Steps to Build Better Movement Patterns, where we are going to be laying out powerful takeaways and literally just laying out a map for you to be able to, if you have recognized that you have a movement pattern that is not the way that you want it to be, maybe your shoulders are hunched, maybe your squat's goofy, you're having like your knee pain, whatever, inside the gym, outside the gym, what have you, we are going to lay out a nine-step process for how you can gently yet effectively seek to decode that less functional movement pattern, put in a new one, and then reinforce it so that it stands up to what you're asking your body to do in your real life. Thank you for listening. This has been the Move Nourish podcast. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. And we will catch you next time.